Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. And today we are talking to Dr. Shafali, who is this amazing, calming presence. She's here and she just like, she eludes just, is it eludes or exudes? exudes? Sorry, Ex- that's my, she that's eludes my, you know titles. what I tried to she do? Exudes. I think you guys, if you've been listening to me enough that I just like get a word that's close enough and then you guys know but what you know, I you mean. Just do it confidently and no I'm one Confidently knows. and consciously. Speaking of <laughs> consciously, you know, so she's about to tell us all about how we can be more present for our children, see them for who they are and, and then just, you know, be better, better parents and spouses and, mm-hmm. and people and happier because of it. She's someone who I'd heard a lot about from my aunt who has two daughters and my mom um, and both of them had found her to be so just like trans transcendental, transformative in the way that she thinks about conscious parenting and the way that she thinks about discipline for our kids and boundaries for our kids, but more than anything about removing boundaries for Mm -hmm. our kids and in doing so removing a lot of the anxieties that we carry as parents don't take our word for it she's been on oprah oprah loves her so um i i think we just should not talk very much more about her and let you just sit back and relax and listen i would definitely say this is an episode i wouldn't listen to if you're sitting in traffic like i would just get comfortable you really need to focus on it it might be one that you listen to again and again realize that in the arc Arch or arc? Arc. Arc. Mm. In the arc. The arch of an eyebrow. The arc of a story. <laughs> In the arc of this of this episode, you will, it, it starts, if, especially if this is something that's completely foreign to you, it really starts to come together towards the end. Um, so be patient with it. Come back to it. Focus. Drink a cup of like chamomile tea. Mm. Sounds good. Mm. Yeah. All right. Enjoy. Uh, enjoy. This is a we're going to have you um, introduce yourself. I'm Dr. Shafali, and I'm a clinical psychologist, a wisdom teacher, and an author of several books on conscious living and parenting. You can find me on my website at drshafali.com. And you'll have to figure out how to spell my name, but I'll help you. It's S-H-E-F-A-L-I. Tell us just a little bit about your method, what you do, this, that, and then we are going to like vultures. Sure, sure. So I'm a clinical psychologist by training, but I am really most passionate about the understanding of the mind from an Eastern and Western point of view. So I help people uh, liberate themselves and alleviate their suffering from an East and a West meets perspective. The reason why I got into parenting is because I realized that that's the core of our pain. You know, that's the core of our suffering is the way we were raised. And if I want to help humanity alleviate suffering, I have to go to the core. And so I envisioned a a way of parenting that was very different from what has been traditionally passed down through the generations. And I called it conscious parenting. And what that really means is that the parent needs to understand that they are raising themselves. There is no child on the outside to raise. 
all the raising is for the parent to raise their own inner child and to evolve. And the child really is here as an usher for that evolution. And we need to see the parenting process as this deeply sacred spiritual process where you raise your consciousness and you see your child as your teacher here to show you how you have to grow and become whole. You know, I believe our mission here on this dimension is to evolve into the greatest wholeness we can possibly achieve. Mm -hmm. And so every relationship is here to be a mirror to our brokenness so that we can become whole. And we don't realize that. We don't realize that our relationship is here to awaken us. We keep using the relationship to fulfill our emptiness instead of using the relationship to make us whole. And so the the most potent relationship, I believe, is the parent-child relationship. So how can, okay, so yesterday I had um, a bunch of playdates over. I, as I told you, I have four children. Um, and we had all playdates because it's kind of like yucky outside. It was kind of cold, rainy, off and on. And it was like just a lot. And there was like messes everywhere. And I, we made, we, I actually took a page. I thought about you. We've made like this like ridiculous box cake. And I let them put See? all the sprinkles on <laughs> and frosted. <laughs> and we made it into a heart. The messier the better. Um, messy, messy, messy. The only pan that I had big enough was my paella. So it was like, oh it was gosh. ended up being in my paella. But, um, but basically, um, you know, I... I, I don't snap at my kids very often. It's it's pretty it's pretty rare. I think because I've done so much personal work, it does happen. Um, but in terms of those emotions that you're still feeling, even if I'm not outwardly expressing them, once the kids were were in bed, I put my running shoes on and I went for like a very very long fast run because I was like, I need to get this energy out, and um, I know that's the way that I do. Right. But you know how how when we're dealing with the chaos or the frustrations of parenthood how can we use your your thoughts your methodology how can we how can we use that in our, our daily lives well a lot of our frustrations of course is typical and normal and even healthy to have because you're dealing with little beings who don't know how to you know, yet behave the way we want them to. So on one level, it's understandable. But really, actually, if you look at it on a deeper spiritual level, you begin to see that your frustrations come out of a deep lack of control. You want control and you don't have control, right? At a very basic level, it's a fight for control every damn day, right? Right. Every day you're like, can I please have control? Can I please have my sanity? Can I please feel like an adult? Can you please make me feel powerful? And yet we have all these children who are designed to undermine that sense of control. So in in a very existential way, children make us see really how little control we really have in life. And the more we fight for that control with our children, the more we're going to come up against it all the time. The more we desire control, the less control we'll have because children do two things when they're controlled. They either fight back, those are the healthy, resilient, gritty children, and then the scared, anxious, and compliant ones just roll over and become obedient and that's really to their peril we want them to fight us because we want them to show us hey you know i'm my own sovereign being and you are treading on my territory of my sovereign spirit and back away and go handle yourself you know go raise yourself go fulfill yourself go look at your own inner emptiness and stop controlling me so we want children to hearken us to our own awakening of our rabid desire for control and that the, the true grace of life is to surrender that control. So children are here to show us every day, 
you know, are you ready to surrender your control? And we're going to not. We're not going to. But that's how we miss the essential mystical wisdom of children is to give up control. How do we separate out the parts of parenting that are about us and about us? Please make me feel like an adult. Please make me feel powerful uh, versus the parts of us that need to protect our children and need to help them, you know, not kill themselves. (laughs) Well, most of it is about us. Most of it is about us because our children come with an inner guidance of who it is they are. And it may not be to our liking. It may not be to our expectations and our, our grandiose ideas of who our offspring should be. But they know. Our children know, and we are so in their way contaminating their existence that they spend their entire life in therapy, undoing everything we've put on them to find out who they originally were, but they always knew who they were. So it's our anxiety, our desire to contour and puppet and objectify these little beings into little dolls that we, you know, so we can have our happy little family um, that messes up. That's why humanity is messed up, no? I mean, we- it's a, it sounds about right, but no, exactly. But now I'm I'm signing up for that. Like, sign me up. I think that these are things that I think about. I mean, I, I look at when my kids are rebellious. I think I don't want to kill that spirit because that's the spirit that's going to serve them when they stick their finger back in my face and they're like, "Well, actually, mommy," mm-hmm. and it's like total telenovela in my house. Right. Um, and I, I there's a part of that that I'm proud of them because I'm like, "All right, great." You know, when they're 20 or 15, 20, 30, this is going to really serve them but I want them to be kind and so when we go down to like the primal things of you know my my three-year-old my two-year-old they hit a lot because when you're two and you're three you typically hit a lot and you know they're learning not and you can see my three-year-old is developing more self-control um, but there is a level of me having to be dominant over him to protect everybody in the house. And I have this rule of everybody's body has to be safe in my home there and their emotion has to be safe. That's why you can't call people stupid. He's obsessed with the word stupid It's the worst word he knows. He calls people stoops. He like shortened it to stoops. And we well, say like, safe. you mean <laughs> estupendo or he'll say stupid and then he'll look at me and he'll go, Pendus. Like he's speaking very clever with his words. Um, but there's an element of like how I wanted them to be giving and kind. I don't care what they do for a, for a living as long as it's honest. I don't care who they marry, who they fall in love with, as long as they're following their dreams and it's, it's, it is their path. You know, I want it to be positive, but I don't have any like ideas of you should be a doctor and you need to bear this kind of person. You need to have this many kids. I don't have any of that, but I want them to be kind. And I want them to be good people. And how can we parent them without getting in the way of their spirit? Well, you know, the more the parent is grounded in their own sense of who it is they are and in their own philosophy of kindness and compassion and generosity and well-being, that is what will transmit to them. Now, the degree to which your child absorbs that is dependent on many factors, on the people they will meet, on the life circumstances. Maybe they'll meet someone who they should not be kind to, really, actually. You know, so they'll have to discern that. We cannot want for them more than wanting for ourselves. So we can want for ourselves to be kind, ourselves to be grounded, ourselves to be radiant and healthy and empowered and, and wise. You cannot want for that. And I know you're saying I want them to be kind because that's a colloquial thing parents say. I want my kids. But spiritually, we need to understand we cannot want anyone anything that we want. We can only do the the true 
mission is to want for ourselves. I'm just aligning our language mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to match the real spiritual journey. But I understand what you're saying. And I want my kid to do to be and do a thousand things. Right. You know, but I always align myself back with my wants are all well and good, but as long as they come from me, they have a limit. So as long as I know I can want from my ideation and my fantasy and my expectation, but it has a limit. Because what is the limit is the other person's limit. Right. You know, you can want your husband to eat green vegetables every day. Great want. Keep wanting. Right. Fabulous. <laughs> Put it in front of his face and make it aromatic. But at the end of the day, you know you have a limit right. because it's that person's karmic influences, the way they were raised, their cause and effects, who they met during the day, what their desire is that'll collide with your boundary. And I I completely agree with what you're saying. I mean, I can can want Leonardo, who's two, to not hit. I can want him to not hit. But he, it's up to him whether he hits or not. Correct. And his, his own developmental trajectory. So you, as a parent, have to know who your kid is, know who they are on the developmental continuum, know who they are on the emotional continuum, on the spiritual continuum. You can tell every kid is just uniquely different. And as long as you know what your role is. Okay, so Leonardo has a hard time not hitting. What does that mean for me as a conscious parent? It means that I need to help him develop into his wholeness to eventually one day when he's ready to not hit. So I have to keep showing up for them. Conscious parenting is not about absentee parenting, you know, like, oh, whatever, you unfold to whatever degree you wish. It's the recognition of who your child is in that moment and it'll change moment by moment and asking ourselves to show up with the greatest degree of wisdom and consciousness as possible. You know, we can't be all things for all kids. We can only be to the degree we are exposed to that within ourselves. So if Leonardo is quote unquote triggering you, I always believe no one can really trigger us, but you know, for for language speaking. If he's triggering you, it's a wonderful opportunity to ask, you know, what is my expectation of this kid that is not matching who he truly is? Maybe he's not ready to not hit. Maybe he doesn't understand what that means. Maybe he will take a long time to not hit. How can I calibrate my expectations to match the child before me? You know, most of us unconsciously match the kid of our fantasies to our expectations, not the kid in reality to our expectations. I I just want to take this because I'm sure there are parents listening who say, well, what about what if I go to the playground and there's another kid on the playground who comes up and hits my child and their parent doesn't say anything, doesn't intervene in some way, doesn't tell the child that's wrong to do. Where is our role as parents to help our children figure out what is right and wrong? Yeah, a great role, a, a tremendous role. Again, we have a tremendous onus on ourselves. I'm just always reminding parents that 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 doesn't mean the kid is changing. We have to keep showing up. Mm-hmm. So if we're at a playground and some other kid is rude to our kid, we get we have many opportunities to do many different things in that moment. We can take the kid and leave. We can uh, bow down to their to their level and explain to them that sometimes other kids don't have impulse control and they're unconscious and sometimes they can be mean and it's scary and talk about feelings. We can go to that parent and say, hey, mom, you know, um, I, my kid is confused as to why your kid hit my kid. Do we, Let's talk about it. Let's have an intervention. Of course, she's going to hate you and, and <laughs> think you're, you're all that and leave you in a moment. But we have many choices. See, we as parents have many, many choices. As long as we understand that our kids at the end of the day are sovereign beings who will enact their destiny to their desire. As long as we understand that and we know that we come with ego and we want to tame our ego, mm-hmm. 
we're good. It's still going to be messy. You know, my parenting is hugely messy. It's terribly me- torrid and messy and chaotic. The point is not to clean this up in some sanitized way. The point is to bring consciousness to the present moment. Become become aware of where everybody is. I mean, I always what I learned with my first child is I would try to have each like well like each incident that happened would be like okay well. We don't spit. We don't spit. I'm going to explain it to you. And then it will never happen again. Period. Right. End of story. We had that Close conversation. That you remember. Right. Yeah. And then I realized that it goes over an arc of time. And what I used to get very frustrated by it because I'm like, I explained this. My parenting is working. I'm going to try this. And I'm going to try that. And I'm going to try the next thing and the next thing. And really what happened when I found out I was successful with whatever lesson it is, is it's being consistent. It's being kind, it's leading by example, and being patient that it might take a week, two weeks, a month, a year, a couple of years right. for them to actually, for it to click in and for them to have the ability for their brain to develop enough so that they have the ability to have enough control. Mm-hmm. And there's always mo- moments that some of my favorite moments in being a parent is, you know, we talked about hitting. So I'm just going to use that for lack of a better example. Everybody's going to think my kids hit all the time. They don't. They're very peaceful, but they have their, you know, their kids. So like when the moment where they raise their hand and before they just like would go for it and hit and then they raise their hand and you can see that they just think about it for a mm-hmm. second. They have that mm-hmm. moment where they hold back a little bit. They might still hit, mm-hmm. but I saw that like little glimmer, mm-hmm. that little window of like, oh, peace, peace is right there. Right. And then eventually they raise their hand and then they put it down. Yeah. And then they learn to deal with it in a completely different way. Yeah. And it's being patient for that and knowing that having the, you know, the faith that it will happen, even with, you know, little Leo, who's two years old and is a mighty, mighty, mighty personality and has been beaten up by two, two siblings before him. So he's, you bet it's, you know, he's going to do it. And I'm sure that my 11 month old is going to do exactly the same thing. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's to be aware that any expectation we have traps us in anxiety. So even the faith that he will change is 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 going to trap you in anxiety when he doesn't. It's really about just showing up in the moment, understanding this is the present moment and what is being called for me to do in this moment. I don't know. If I think I didn't have that faith that he was going to change and become really peaceful, I think I would be very, very sad. <laughs> but but again, that's so, what I'm saying. You I'm see, you're already trapping, you know, <laughs> it's tra- a trap of sadness that you have because you expect him to already be something else. If you saw him as a struggling kid versus a mean kid, it would change. Oh, I never see right? my kids as mean right. kids. Right. No, no, I do see them and they're or, struggling or you with said things. peaceful, you know, so you don't, don't even see this as unpeaceful or unkind. Just... Instead, contextualize it as his brain hasn't developed enough, so he is just struggling. No, that's what, yeah, that, yeah, that, and that's exactly yeah. what I said. That is that is one hundred percent what I do. But I do, I believe in being parents. We can hold out hope for our children that they will get the message yeah. that they'll figure out when I, and I same agree. thing when I sit down with my five-year-old and we're working on spelling and reading, you know, I'm watching her, her read and, and it's a lovely experience. Like where we have so much fun together and every single day I hold out hope and know that she will eventually be Absolutely. able to read. I think about Absolutely. it the same thing. Same thing with hitting, reading, all the, all, they're all skills. But these are all Absolutely. things. It's, one of the things that I've always loved about your philosophy and your sort of approach is to relieve, everything you do is to relieve parents of anxiety. And I think that's the things that you mentioned, you know, Lari, the, the, 
the little things, the scratching or the hitting or the fighting or the bickering or the reading or any of the things, the milestones, the expectations, the idealizations of what we thought our children were going to be that give parents so much anxiety. How um, how did you arrive at this idea that like we could control that if we can't control anything else that maybe we can control our own exposure to anxiety? And what are some of the most effective strategies towards that that we can share with our Well, I began observing as as a mom that the way the parenting industry is set up, it's like designed to make us anxious. It's designed to make us have this delusion of control, you know, in school and they have to be this way and they have to be that way and they have to follow rules and they have to get good grades. And that's all true, but it cannot become our focus, you know, and when it becomes our focus, we get stressed and we're always wondering, why is our kid like this? The other kids are not like that. Why is my kid like this? And instead of understanding that this journey of childhood is ever evolving, it's ever treacherous, it's ever unpredictable, it's not linear, you know, and yet the parenting industry is set up to make everything very linear and very hierarchical and very outcome based. So we're always waiting for the outcome. You know, did you do well on your test? Did you get the right grade? The judgment. So that creates judgment and pressure on us. Mm -hmm. And then we transmit this to our children. And so they grow up with this idea that childhood is like all about doing and succeeding and getting to the next milestone. Actually, childhood is about aimless play and complete discovery and non-discovery and just being and being idle and bored so that the mind can organically find its own calling. You know, all this stuff we're putting onto childhood today is not natural. And it it raises anxiety and creates disconnection between parent and child and within the parent and within the child. So I began observing this in my own self that I was an anxious wreck and I wasn't having a good time and my kid wasn't having a good time. And it was all about schedules and language development and cognitive development and optimizing potential. And the kid is three years old because it comes from a lack-based mentality. You know, the current parenting paradigm is predicated on lack. We don't see it as such, but that's what my work exposes, that it's all based on fear and lack. Will my kid be okay? Will my kid be kind? Will my kid be successful? Will my kid be happy? You know, this is all paranoia because we do not live in the present moment and do not embrace the present moment with abundance and and empowerment. We're full of scarcity and lack. And we're filling in our children with scarcity and lack that they need to become something. And life is about that, not this. Instead, though, life is about this, this moment right here, right now. And of course, there's the doing of life and you have to potty train and brush your teeth. And But that's become the focus of childhood, not the ancillary. The focus of childhood is connection, is presence, is the, is the eternity of time in this moment. And when we connect with our children's essence for who it is they are, not who they should be tomorrow, children develop worth. Then they do become kind. Then they kind of know good from bad because they are being seen as whole. They're being seen as completely complete. And they're not being used for the parents' own machinations. And the parents' inner lack isn't being dumped on the kid. You know, one of the things that I love the most when we get to talk about on the show is because I I think a lot of the moms who listen are focused outwardly. They're focused on making their kids happier, making their spouses happier, making their home function better. Um, How, you know, I love when we get to these topics that are 
really at their core about addressing the woman and about and this is for all parents, of course, and for all probably all humans, period. But from a motherhood's perspective, you you started off talking about how all of our relationships hold up a mirror to all of our brokenness and all the pieces that are missing. Can you go a little deeper on that? And, and like what how how are we supposed to handle those relationships and, and use them to our benefit and and grow from them? Yeah. If first we have to be willing to become aware. You know, most of us are asleep. We don't even know we're asleep. So the process of like becoming, matrix asleep, or how do you? Yeah, the asleep? matrix asleep. Like in your inner matrix, yeah. you're in the bubble, and you have no idea you're being puppeteered by belief systems and messages from institutions that are capitalistically, uh, you know, marauding your essence. To put it mildly, <laughs> on this lovely morning, we're nothing if not understated. Yeah. So you know, if we don't wake up to the fact that we're living in a system that is using us and capitalizing on our fears, we won't snap out of the matrix. And my work is about exposing the insidious nature of the matrix and what we're doing to our children and spending a whole lot of money and not having a good time in in life. And life will pass us by and we had very little joy. Um, So first we have to become aware that it's a matrix and we're in it and we're asleep. Now how to become aware that you're asleep if you're asleep. This is the conundrum. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you how you become aware when you're in pain. Pain is the greatest portal to our greater awakening. So use moments of pain to ask, you know, to turn the spotlight within and to ask, what am I projecting? What am I putting from my inside to this situation that appears painful, but the pain is not from the outside. It's from my inner pain, pain that uh, uh, I inherited from my childhood, from my parents' uh, upbringing, or pain that I believe something that this moment should be other than what it is, and I cannot accept that it isn't other than what I think it should be. It is what it is. So pain comes from the the mismatch between expectation and reality. Pain comes from our wounds from childhood. And the third place pain really comes from is um, the ingestion of belief systems that are fully toxic and false. Belief systems that we should be pretty. Belief systems that pretty looks a certain way. Belief systems that we should be a size zero. Belief systems that we should that success means wealth. Belief system that success means achievement. Belief system, I mean, I can go on and on and on. Belief system that parents should be in control. Belief systems that children are good and bad. I mean, I have a bazillion belief systems. Those belief systems are toxic and create anxiety. And they are puppeteering us away from our essence. But this entire world is based on belief systems that are toxic and false. So the process of awakening means to be extremely brave, to be a warrior, to look at each belief system that we have in our mind and understand that our pain is coming from a belief in a misbelief. You're talking about finding the present moment. Well, all of it then makes you realize that we're not in the present moment. We're never moment. in the present yeah, moment. Yeah. This is what this is what I got so obsessed with with yoga. And I wrote a book called The Living Clearly Method that's all about this idea that we live in a cloud all the time and this is the method to become clear. I want to be able to see. Yes. And you know what I loved about yoga is 
this idea that we came to that I came to with studying it is that we're either living in the past or the future. We're thinking about what we're going to do tomorrow. We're Mm -hmm. thinking about what we did. And our body has a physical reaction to all of our thoughts and emotion, which is creating anxiety. I'm, you know, I'm very upset about what happened yesterday. My my body is going to have a reaction to that. I'm very excited about what's happening tomorrow. I'm going to have like butterflies in my tummy. And you're constantly, your mind is bouncing around. And I'm not really thinking about where I am right now so the, so so exactly so when you use the example of where our kids will be mm-hmm. that's if we just have to be all we need to do is show up in the present moment right. with the greatest uh, sense of inner abundance what is the what is not the what if mm-hmm. and when we do that children absorb that they begin to understand that who they are is whole and complete and what they're doing may lack some finesse but that's irregardless it's irrespective the Wholeness is transmitted from parent to child through the parent's acceptance of their own self. If the parent doesn't accept themselves and is constantly in the future or past, like you just said, the kid is always in the present moment. When the parent is riddled by their own lack, then they're in the past and future. This is where we mismatch with our kids. And we're modeling and we that for them and we're teaching that That's to what them. they absorb. It doesn't matter about whether we tell them to write in a beautiful way or to, to wipe their mouth with their napkin mm-hmm. and to say, hello, how are you, grandma? That is not what creates wholeness. Right. The creation of wholeness comes when they live in an ambiance where they observe people with joy and presence and they are they are absorbing the the feeling that they are allowed to be in joy and presence life is full of joy but the message we give our children is that life is harsh life is unkind life is competitive no these are misbeliefs life in the present moment can be joyful it is suffering because of misbeliefs. And the amazing thing about when you get to be in the present moment is that you are more powerful because you can do something. So the reason I started also getting obsessed with this is I used to have an eating disorder, which I've talked about a ton on this on this podcast, so I don't want to take time to do that. But what I, I realized is I would have this idea, okay, tomorrow I'm going to do it differently. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to be really good at eating in certain ways. I'm not going to binge purge, all this different kind of stuff that I was doing. And then I slowly, slowly, the anxiety would creep in. I would get cloudy and I would get out of the present moment and I would do the behavior that I was so embarrassed about. And then I wake up the next morning and be like, oh God, I did it again. And I have so much shame. And then I would do it again. And it was until the point where I was capable of really, and I found it through a physical self of like, sort of like, okay, where, where, where's my body touching the floor? Where's my body touching itself? Doing different movements. That's why I love to move so much because it really brings me into my own body and allows me to be more present. It was only when I found that present self that I could have been like, okay, I'm not going to binge perch. But I couldn't think about it in the future. I could make a plan for the future, but it would never come. And then I would be really disappointed in myself when I would think about the past. But it was when I was in the present moment where I could actively make the choice not to do it. And then I worked with students who about quitting smoking. You know, how do you quit smoking? It's really hard, but you have to be that present moment. What are you doing with that cigarette pack before you put, you put a cigarette in your mouth and you light it up? Be present for every single movement that's part of it. And then you can say, take it out of your mouth. I'm not going to do it. And it's hard. And the same thing with that I take with parenting. 
You know, it sounds like it's very similar to what you're doing is this yeah. idea that the more that when my kid is driving me nuts or disappointed me in some way, if I can get to the present moment and I think, how do I want this outcome to be in a more productive way, which I feel mm-hmm. like I just like messed up your thing because then I just thought about the future, didn't I? Yeah, you did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> but you I'm were watching her eyes. But like, you were aware that I'm you thought aware about the future. Of it. She's already taught me so much. But you know, you kind of you have to be crafty. You have to. I do believe that being a parent, we have to have some sort of vision. We have to be some sort of scout leader. Like we're going in that direction because there it has to be some level of parenting, as you as you said mm-hmm. before. Well, you what do what you mean? make of that? What do you make? Because I've always heard and been told and found in, in my own life that kids love structure, that they thrive in repetition, they thrive in um, they they thrive in regularity because regulation is something that they're still learning how to do and to put a name to their emotion or put a name to their feeling or their frustration or whatever. A lot of Uh, a lot of their ability to do that only comes by contrast to having other things that are very stable in their life. Um, But it sounds like, and on the other hand, the, the hippie in me and the like, you know, the boho (laughs) glam wants, loves this idea that kids don't, kids shouldn't be in school till they're like seven and they should just run around and explore their environment and play and, and, and not feel the pressure that, you know, somewhere somewhere along the way in our agrarian past, we decided that kids should be in school from nine to three and and, you know, from the age of five on and learn the things that we think Probably are important had to, do to with learn. Work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and then the mother, like, just even right. stay at home. I understand like, I need you to stay out of the house. I understand that part of this <laughs> equation. But but I yeah, but I'm just I'm 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 really just trying to dial in because on the one I'm just I so subscribe to everything you're saying. And I love this idea that. That and I know that things that that make me the most self-conscious or nervous about my kids or the most anxious about their future, any of that is all a reflection of a my own life and b what I project for my children that I don't want them to struggle with the way that I struggled or that I want them to achieve that I didn't achieve or any of these things that we you know unfairly put on our kids. And at the same time, I want to know about what you what your feelings are around around structure and then inevitably around discipline because I think mm-hmm. they kind of go hand in hand. Well, well again, it's it, structure or discipline cannot be something that's an idea, right? So I'm not going to, nobody can tell a parent to, to you know what, it, it would be a good idea if you gave your kids more structure. W- what do I mean by that? If it's not who the parent is, it doesn't matter. So don't choose boho chic parenting or don't choose straight-laced hierarchical parenting based on an idea. You have to do it based on who you are mm-hmm. because it'll always backfire. And then we can then become more conscious in who it is we are. So parents are trying to be something, mm-hmm. which they're not. So you it, don't look at it as an idea. Look at it as who am I truly as a parent and how can I grow? If I want to grow in a certain different area, can I grow organically, not as an idea? You know, parenting can't be an idea. Oh, that's a good idea. And that's what most parenting is. Oh, I'll send them to that school because everyone in my block says it's a great school and it's a fad and you go as an idea and you're going to mess it up. Parenting is an embodied philosophy. It is who you are and who you aspire to become better in. Sure, more evolved, more conscious. But you can't like fool around like this, you know, like. So, for example, I had an idea that my kids should go to a hippy dippy school. Okay, great idea. 
Right? That, that's who I am, who I thought I was. But guess what? My life situation at that time, my financial situation at that time didn't allow me to put her in that school. So guess what? She's going to go to the school that fits my lifestyle in that moment. Mm-hmm. So this is not about being unrealistic and having grand ideas. It's about being on the ground, very planted in your reality, and you do the best you can. You know, if you can't send your kid to a school uh, on a farm, you can't. You send them to wherever you can. It's very practical. Consciousness is not about ideas. It's about embodying your reality as it is in the present moment. It's very grounded, very practical. But it's seeing your crap for what it is and not putting onto your kids what is not meant to be on your kids. Your crap, you deal with. Meet your kid as who it is they are and attune with the kid who it is they are. Now, you attune with them, but they're like, you know what, I want to live on a farm in the Netherlands you're like, sorry, kid, we can't. We live here in New York and you're going to go down, down the public to the public school and where the bathrooms stink. I'm so sorry. It's not about giving your kid bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. It's about seeing the essence for who it is they are within the material world you live in. You know what I love about this? At the beginning, it seemed like super like woo, woo, woo out there. And now I'm realizing that we just don't think of it the same way but as if we just switch a little bit of our thinking it actually just makes a lot of sense and is very practical it is it's hugely practical very it demands extreme presence from the parent i mean it's going down to ultimately what matters is what your essence is and what the essence of your child is and to stay fair and present for that be spirit inside and and notice how we've been indoctrinated by a toxic culture and in my book the awakened family i go down all the mythologies of parenting that actually create disconnection and we i take away labels i take away judgments i take away future-based outcome-based goal-based thinking that we put on our kids that take them away from who it is they are and if you stay close to that it's a profoundly simple but inordinately difficult thing to do given the culture we live in the culture we live in is toxic it is not designed for the authentic unfolding of the kid or the parent. You and I were raised in such cultures that transplanted us from our essence. The reason, don't mind me saying, just a little personal, you may have had an eating disorder is because you did not accept who it is you are on a very basic level. This is the conundrum. This is the plague. And what my work is trying to do is help the parent accept who it is they are first. Because if they don't, they will forever look at their children with the lens of scarcity. You know, every time I'm, I look at my kid and I see myself criticizing her, I turn that mirror right back to myself and I go, you are feeling crappy about yourself. Don't you dare dump lack on your child. If your child dumps lack on themselves, you can connect to them where they are. But don't you dump your crap on her. And my, my only goal to be a good parent, quote unquote, a good parent, is n- to take care of my own crap. You know, take care of my own lack, shine with resplendence, show up with presence, then all the rest will show up. The doing of the world is not important. You see, we've gotten it all wrong. We are all obsessed with the doing and we're missing the spiritual connection. We're missing the spiritual destiny that we all have. We're missing our essence and the unfolding of our spirit. We're failing to see this as a journey of timeless proportions. We've all been here a million times. We're going to come back. This is about spiritual partnership. The child may look young. But that's only because we're limited in chronological time and we don't understand time on the vast continuum that it exists. The child is only young because they're smaller on chronology, but they're mighty 
in spirit and they're mighty to teach us how to live in the present moment, how to not have judgment, how to love unconditionally. These are the things our children know. Okay, so I'm going to invent an imaginary person. This person puts their kids in piano classes and dance classes and French classes. That sounds good. Sounds very fancy. Mm. And has to get all straight marks, the great marks, everything. And they come in and they have had this moment where they're like, I am focusing too much on results. I'm, I'm surrounded by the toxicity. My kids go to bed at this time and they eat this. And the, I have so many rules for everything. Where does this person begin? I'm imagining that one of you listening out does exactly that. I'm sure that I'm yeah. like exaggerating a little yeah. bit. And little the bit. reason they will come to me is because they will be an utter wreck. Because of the pain. Uh, yeah, And the pain and the anxiety of living such a f- foolhardedly uh, controlled life. You know, life is... N- you know, the reason we control life and do a thousand things is because we are trying to avoid being with ourselves because who we are is intolerable. So we embellish and adorn and Botox and surgerize because we have been told who we are is not good enough. Have you read Araya Mountain Dreamers, The, Invita- the Invitation? Yes, I love she it. Says, She's last gorgeous. Thing, she says, yeah. I want to know if you can be alone with yourself and if you truly like the company you keep in the empty moments. That one, when I was struggling, that Whoa. one. For, okay, for, so if you need to hear it again. I want to know if you can be alone with yourself and if you truly like the company you keep in the empty moments. And I, like, when I read that, I was like, I don't like my company yeah, when I'm alone. because that's why you feed it. That's why exactly. you feed, distract, you fill, distract. You, you addict yourself mm-hmm. and and you create patterns of habitual doing yeah you mentioned partnerships and spiritual partnerships and i think you know for people who've chosen to parent their kids with a partner a lot of the times one parent can be very open to an idea like this and another parent is not another yeah. parent is very focused on in fact it's very common it's more common than not mm-hmm. and i always say that the one who's more conscious will have a tough choice you know, to chase consciousness or chase the happy united front of the marriage. And I think that the reason this lesson comes up for that person is exactly this, to test their own degree of consciousness. Everything is a reflection of our degree of consciousness or not. And we we think it's a marriage, but the marriage, again, is a sacred spiritual mirror to, for you to examine how close to wholeness you are. It's just in the guise of this thing we call marriage and we've created legitimacy and legality around it. But really, it's another mirror. And so it's not my husband is not conscious. It's, oh, I get to see how grounded in consciousness I am and test my capacity to now negotiate this in the context of the fear I have that my husband is going to be pissed off at me or we're going to have trouble in the bed. Yep. It's, it's to test how grounded in consciousness you are. And I always say there is no united front. It's a front. That's why it's called un- let's have a united front. I mean, we actually <laughs> say let's have a front. It's fake. It doesn't have to be. Two people cannot parent the same way unless they are really aligned in consciousness, which very few people who get married in their 30s, even 30s, are aligned in consciousness because we haven't woken up yet. So here you have a partnership that is going to be jarred and you know, jarring. And that's okay. Now negotiate that, you know, and if you're very fixed on being the happy couple, or the harmonious couple, then you're going to have trouble. You but know? I think one of the biggest things that happens with that united front thing is that parents are so um, on edge about undermining each other or being undermined. So that 
you know, if you point out the wrong in the in the situation as it's happening, the other person can get offended because that's like the cardinal rule. Don't mm-hmm. do that. We actually do that in in our home where we don't have united front. And I think it's been extremely, extremely amazing because some of the, I think, biggest problems that we have when, when we grow up is we, our parents didn't stick up for us when the other parent wasn't doing right by us. Exactly. And so I think, you know, there are certain rules in my home and, you know, it goes back to kindness, treating people well. You can be heard, you can express yourself, you can talk about it, but you have to do it in a respectful way that is productive. And if either... Alec or I are not doing that. The other people, including the children, need to point that out and say, hey, that's not okay." And then the person has to should take a deep breath and do what they need to do and then come back and say, hey, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't do that. And maybe they won't. And that's when it gets tricky when the other person doesn't want to. See, this is my problem is I'm like, oh, yes, you will. Good. So you, See, my right. you, have, you have matriarchal yeah. dominance in your yeah, home no, and that's wonderful. Yeah. But for those women who are struggling or men who are struggling with an unconscious spouse, it's a challenge, but they must keep evolving and they must protect their children and they must call out unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. I always say you have to chase the consciousness. You cannot chase the marriage. You cannot be comfortable in a marriage while your children are unconsciously being dumped on. Well, showing true comfort in a marriage is knowing that that person's going to be there when you are rocking the boat a little bit with the right intentions. It's not like I'm rocking the boat and I'm, you know, I'm being rude to somebody or I'm cheating on you or I'm hitting you or I'm doing something horrible. I'm rocking the boat with everybody's best interest in mind. And if that person is truly in love with you and your mindset, your mentality and everything, even if they get a little bit mad for a little bit, they come around and they can see. Exactly. If, if and that's the, so that. Therefore, it's it then becomes a mirror to the trust in the marriage, mm-hmm. right? Yes, yeah, a lot of trust. Yep. Well, a, a good partner trust. wants you to grow, right? A good partner wants you to reach your highest self, but yes. that can be uncomfortable. Because, Same thing with a good parent. Of course, yes. of course. But it does make it does. I'm I'm always curious about how parents can support each other. It doesn't have to be a united front. I don't. I definitely do not ever want to lie to my kids. I don't want to lie to myself. I don't want to lie to my husband and try to put on some kind of happy face and make us feel like, you know, everything we do is completely aligned because we're different people with different experiences and different priorities. And that's, I I, I think there was a really interesting article written in the Times a few years back about how. Um, moms frequently like yell at dads for the way that they play with kids and think that they're being too rough or think that they're being too, you know, silly or they're being they're not like teaching them things or that they that it doesn't um, it doesn't help the child. And it, the whole article was actually about how important it is for children to receive the kind of parenting that one parent can offer and the kind of parenting that the mm-hmm. other parent can offer. Um, and so I'm curious how you. I know your focus is on family, but you know, for us, our family, our our marriage is at the foundation of our family. So, how do you, how do you advise parents to support each other and to and to nurture each other in this process? Well, I think it's to what Hilaria was saying that if the if both understand that it's not about hurting the other's fragile sense of self, and they're here to protect that sense of self, but we're also here to grow and for the collective whole and the betterment of the collective whole. So in the collective whole, the individual ego has to drop. And that's something that parents can, before they even become parents or get married, is something that people should talk about, you know, 
I'm here to be your mirror. We're here to grow. You see, marriages are not predicated on growth. That's the sad truth. They're predicated on romance and making me feel good. But no, a lot of marriage is not going to make you feel good because a lot of it is going to confront your ego. So are you ready to drop your ego? You know, and those are conversations people should have before they enter relationships. But I think when both can have develop a language which is hard to develop a common language where they can understand that it's not about individual egos anymore it's about growth mm-hmm. and the collective whole then they can support each other but many will not be ready to hear that and so the one who is evolving will have a challenge you know this is inevitable as we grow in consciousness it's quite likely we move away from the other partner in consciousness mm-hmm. consciousness comes at a price you begin to move away from your parents you begin to realize that there are many unconscious people around you mm-hmm. that don't serve your highest interests anymore you're not playing those games anymore you're not playing in that dimension anymore so it's scary when that happens consciousness brings about some trepidation because you realize oh my goodness i've been living with unconscious people all this time and no one told me but now i'm waking up so in a marriage it's particularly precarious so we try to bring the other partner along with gentility and and nurturing and offering an invitation come grow with me come let's look at another way to parent let's drop our egos and if the other person is loving you and trusting you they will do and ready for it they will do it but if they're not ready we can't take it personally we need to understand that everyone's on their own journey of consciousness and awakening I cannot expect my partner to come with me just because I think it's gorgeous, I think it's divine. They may not be ready. And a lot of my work is helping people reconcile that other people don't have to be where they are at in consciousness. And then but on top of that it's okay to be where you are at in consciousness because a lot of times the more conscious person tends to caregive for the one who's not going along with and he has a lot of fear about it of like okay well if i go there i'm going to lose this yeah, person it's, it's hard because and you feel hard. like you're going to mm-hmm. betray them and 100%. they do make you feel like that right. you're going to because the partner the the agreement was that we will both stay together but the one who's growing right cannot stay anymore at the pace of the one who isn't growing i think ultimately though i know people say well your children leave you and it's you know it's you and your partner and that and that's what it should be i think that while we while we are parent you know parents with children under our roof particularly um we it is our job to do absolutely everything that we can to do what's right by our kids and that our you know partner in crime and making the kids or in you know adopting the kids or whatever the path may may be is that's their job too that is that is the vows that you take when you become parents and you should never have to apologize for that and if that means that you know you and your spouse quarrel because you said you know what in front of your spouse you said can't talk to you know little jojo like that you can't talk to little jojo like that for for your kid to see that the parent stood up mm-hmm. because it, it, a lot of times you'll see when people have you know some sort of an abusive household growing up which is worse the person who did the abusing or the person who didn't say anything while they watched it happen both are very 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 painful And so to and, be and that you're, person you're to right, allow you know, the voice is is okay because the one who's conscious is scared mm-hmm. right it's it's still not developed yet and i said it's a test of how conscious yeah. you are because it'll test you to go am i grounded in consciousness or am i grounded in fear to please this person who quote unquote is my partner it right. could be the parent it could be the teacher am i pleasing that person's fragile sense of self and nurturing that person's inner child but i'm failing to take care and protect my real child right it, it 
it's it's a serious consideration and parents need to develop in their courage to go you know what my partner is in his 40s or 50s or 60s i'm not here to mommy them i'm here to mommy or or father my children my real children and many couples are dysfunctional because we are mothering and fathering each mm-hmm. other and it's not our job it's it's that person's job especially because when our children are little we're not afraid that they're going to go anywhere and but our spouse can can get up and leave yeah. but we're not afraid that the kids going to go anywhere so we're like okay we, we, you you'll you hope you understand hope you forget about this yeah hope experience. you understand that i have to yes. agree with the unconscious abusive partner right. right now because you know that's my marriage and you're going to leave one day but he won't leave i'm going to try to not let him leave but then when the kid gets to be about 18 years old or when they're able to leave then if it's toxic then they do leave then you're chasing after that person and that horrible feeling that you have of that fear of abandonment goes now on to your children who have legs that are strong enough to carry them out of the door and then you know you realize then you have the guilt of all the 18 years i mean I've, i'm this is very dramatic it's getting to be but it's that idea of do what's right in the moment if you know what's right you have the ability to use your voice and stand up for and people speak up. Mm-hmm. Well, and speak talk, up and protect let's talk about mom guilt because you yes. bring up guilt we've talked about anxiety i feel like we're hitting on some of the just the heavy hitters in an early parenthood period about the the things that can trip moms up what do you make of this phenomenon of mom guilt and the and the discussion of it and in some ways the popularization of it what does it yeah. what does it mean to you well you know i always say guilt is some grandiose idea ideation that we should get it all right and perfect and it comes from this narcissistic perfectionism really you know it sounds really like self deprecating but guilt is really the other side of of some grandiose obsession with perfectionism which is the the child of shame you know guilt comes from shame so sh- because we grew up with shame about who it is we are and all that we were not we ha- developed this idea that we should be perfect and mother mud the mother role has been indoctrinated and conditioned into little girls that they need to be the perfect mother so when we women grow up and become mothers we enter it with such a zealotry and such a self abnegating like driven ambitious desire to be perfect we drive ourselves to to guilt but it's not a healthy guilt out of a, a an ethical um, you know moral desire to be more conscious it's a guilt because we thought we should be perfect mm-hmm. and that perfectionism is grandiose it's de- a delusion we cannot be perfect so we have to accept our fallibilities when we accept our fallibilities we don't have guilt per se now we can have a desire or a vision to be more conscious sure but to think that we should not have yelled because we should have been better is a delusion see the difference between so say you yelled yesterday when you tell your therapist the next day you know i shouldn't have done it i can't believe i did it you know what's wrong with me you know i need to do better and i i i i need to go on a fast now and i need to you know go on a diet now whatever we decide is our confessional you know um redemption mary. yeah our hail mary mm-hmm. our redemption all comes from this idea that we are sinned and sinful and sinners and it comes from this thing that we should be perfect versus another approach to talk to your therapist you know i yelled yesterday and it's clear that i have a lot of work to do 
to become more conscious. And I'm so happy I yelled because I could see now that I have to grow and I want to look in that mirror and I want to evolve. And I, I feel bad that I dumped on my kids, but what a wonderful opportunity for me to grow. You see the difference? One is full of abnegation, guilt, perfectionism, and shame, and that's what we'll project onto our kids. And the other one is to see pain as a portal to awakening. Of course I'm going to make mistakes. The human dimension is meant to be full of errors and fallibilities because I'm meant to evolve. I'm meant to evolve, not I'm meant to be perfect. Mm -hmm. You see? I love this because so often we're talking about understanding our children and, you know, what they're capable of and understanding our spouse and what that person is capable of or our co-workers. There's so much understanding. But when are we like sitting down and be like, let me just understand myself? I mean, we, we think about it in terms of self-improvement and stuff like that, but just really realizing like, you know what? Yeah, I messed up and this is an opportunity for me to do better, to figure right. it this out. This is about understanding that the person you go to bed with is yourself. The person you eat with is yourself. The person you're married to is yourself. The person you have to parent is yourself. Everybody else is secondary. So the person to love really is yourself. So when you get that on a spiritual level, there's no guilt about loving yourself. You understand that it is through self-celebration and self-love and self-glory, not in an aggrandizing way, a narcissistic way, in a true, like I'm, I'm a celebrating joyful spirit. Then that will outpour to your children. How can you be anything else but loving and celebratory of their spirit? But we, this whole Western, it's, I believe it's more Western than Eastern, but I don't mean to create a division of self-abnegation. And, you know, it comes from religion, you know, that religion is predicated on us being sinners and, you know, the sacrifice of the, the great ones is just all faulty because it creates this unrelenting, abiding sense of guilt to even be joyful, to even love the self. No, we cannot love another till we love ourselves. We cannot have compassion for another before we have compassion for ourselves. What is love? Self-love. What is compassion? Self-compassion. Now, when I talk like this, our, our old conditioning will say, my goodness, how self-centered. Yes, we need to be self-centered in a holistic way, in a, in a self-awareness fashion so that we can then not dump our crap on other people. Love the self so no one else has the responsibility and burden to love us. Heal yourself so other people are not completing you. Put your oxygen mask on before helping your, your yeah. child or the person next to you. But we're so guilty to do that because of a culture that says we should be self-abnegating, we should be self-deprecating. True, but but there's also there's also the I, I think as we become parents and it it all starts back from the beginning. So even if you're listening and your children are much older, I mean, remember those early days where you're so tired and you're so emotional and you have to all of a sudden do things, be the superhero and do things that you never thought you were capable of doing, like staying up all night and bouncing a baby and walking in a certain pattern and you know all of these different things that we all end up having to do. And I think that we get trained somehow through this and get stuck in it of, okay, I have to do the impossible all the time. Yes, I'm tired and I want to go to bed, but there's this little infant that needs me to keep it alive. So I'm going to do that. And then we just never stop, you know, as you know, the, the bird is supposed to spread its wings and fly from the nest one day, you know, we hold on and hold on and hold on. Um, in, in this place where we're just constantly giving because we're afraid to lay down when the infant is 
needs us and but then all of a sudden our kid is five and it's not the same situation 10 not the same situation 15 but i don't so think on. they're mutually exclusive i think you can it was the when you were talking just then it was the first time i'd ever thought that self-centered doesn't necessarily mean selfish it just means that your universe has a center and it's you you Correct. make sense of it you know you have an anchor in it you um you you feel empowered and awake to be able to do everything you need to do with the universe around you, like the bouncing and the count and the countless hours a week and the and the and the being there for your kids in a way that doesn't doesn't diminish everything that they came in already being. I'm really curious because I feel like whenever whenever we have someone on the show who has just committed themselves so fully to a way of thinking that shouldn't be hard for people to understand, but sometimes is because of the way we've been cultured to think of it differently. What do you do when you feel yourself slipping out of consciousness or when you feel yourself being str- you live in Manhattan, like undoubtedly you've gotten in a cab and wanted to murder someone <laughs> like that. That just is a way of being. What do you do to bring yourself back or or to relax yourself or to center yourself again or to make yourself the the mother that you want to be? Um, you know, any sort of tips you can offer us? <laughs> well, I think it's a cultivation and it, I, uh, there is no easy tip. It's, it's a dedication that I have committed my life to harnessing an abundance mindset where I see this life that I've incarnated into as a journey of my evolution toward wholeness. So everything I look at is a reflection of am I whole? Am I worthy? Am I seeing myself? Am I authentic? So it's a wondrous opportunity in a traffic jam, when somebody's cutting my lane, when the per- the doctor's making me wait for three hours, when my kid is barfing all over my beautiful outfit, for me to go, why am I so attached to this material thing when life is truly eternal and limitless? And it I automatically then shift from lack to abundance. But this is a cultivation, yeah? It's a mindset. It's understanding wisdom traditions. I meditate every day. I honor myself every day. I I search for my truth every day. I don't want to live in lies. I don't want to live in inauthenticity. So relationships that don't serve me, I move away from. It takes courage and heartache. But to see this dimension that we're living on as a search for authenticity. And as long as my eyes are on my authentic self, then all the rest is an illusion. It's a play. It's fun. It's joyful. It's practice. It's practice. And sometimes it shows up as an illness. Sometimes it shows up as a dyslexic child. Sometimes it shows up as an abusive husband. It doesn't matter how it shows up. It's the lesson that I'm here to learn. Everything is here to teach me. This is why I have to treat myself very seriously Mm -hmm. because I'm on a path and people are so afraid to do that because they think it's selfish. But when we don't evolve in a very committed way, no one around us can evolve. If we don't speak the truth and be authentic, stand up for our children, speak for what's right, quote unquote, right or wrong, stand up for what we believe in, in this world, then no one else will. So as we hone our own instrument, we become reflectors of light. Consciousness can only bring more love. So as long as I stay grounded in my consciousness every moment, I know I will be more loving. Consciousness brings love. Nothing else brings love but consciousness. Money doesn't bring love. Religion doesn't bring love, as we can see. Um, Happiness doesn't bring love because happiness is transient. So what brings love? The capacity to stay in consciousness, which means to stay in abundance. 
Beautiful. Excellent. And what's your favorite thing? And it could be, you know, a your favorite scrunchie, your favorite earrings, your Crystals favorite for meditation, your favorite thing, book, thing? an yeah. actual thing. It's an actual thing. It's yes, I know things. Well, you know, as far as things go, I think um, a thing that will expand the mind. So my favorite thing would be um, one of the books that has expanded my mind. And I would say that would be by Eckhart Tolle, uh, The Power of Now. That's a good one. Wonderful. That's a good one. Well, okay, thank, you so thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. All right, guys, that was Dr. Shafali. She gave us a lot to think about in terms of our own experience as humans and how parenting features and factors into that. And I th- I just there were a couple moments for me that just felt like aha moments. And and one was this idea that so much of what we struggle with with our kids or the the additional anxiety we put around parenting is is us trying to stop our children from struggling with the things we struggled with or trying to set them up for success, quote unquote, in ways that, you know, success is success is defined in these very limited ways in our in our culture. And um, and, you know, you know, whether you're raising the quote unquote perfect child, also very limiting. And I loved her ideas around freeing ourselves of a lot of that and and honoring what our children are bringing into this equation and also that so much of what we're trying to do to and for them are is actually about us um and I also thought you know I I, I I'm always in awe of people who are able to have that kind of um it's weird because it sounds like self-control. I was about to say self-control and it's not. It's actually freedom. It's it's it's, it's removing a lot of the controls we it's think peace. we need to have. It is peace. Um and I think, you know, I I I think uh, you know, I definitely think the matrix thing is real in some ways. I do think we are fed and um nurtured and nourished on this idea of you know, consumerism and the and oh, there's a lot of economies that work around us behaving in a predictable kind of way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love this idea that you can awaken yourself from that and that you can become much more present and free yourself from a lot of the of the constraints of that. But I also you know, I, I, Alaria, I think you and I both really, whenever we, we, we're both really curious people. We read a ton. We're really interested in like learning when there's when something peaks our interest, we want to learn everything there is to learn about it. So I don't feel like an expert in any way in this right now. I feel like I've had my interest peaked and I want to like go deep on it. And I really want to come out with usable tips and ideas for parenting in this way, because I do still, I'm still a little bit confused around how do I provide the structure and the safety net that I think I need to provide for my kids and not stifle them or, you know, suffocate them with all these random things that, you know, society decided I have to give my kids well, to, for them to be successful? You know, you asked a really great question at the end. And, and I brought up like that that person who's like having their kid do 12 different activities. Totally. And, and you know, we ask these kinds of questions because we very much not just for our own like inter- interest. We want to know, OK, well, how do we do it? Right. You know, but we want you as listeners to always be able to say, okay, here are tangible things that I can take away from this conversation and apply to my my daily life. Um, and this is one thing I got so hung up of as I started to teach yoga as I, you know, would go, I went into this world that has spoke a completely different language of feeling and breathing and all of these different like things are like, wow, that sounds great. Sign me up for that. But then you're like, 
how do I do this? You know, and I think the most important thing to realize is that it is a practice. And so I, I really started trying to d- take these tangible things and, and create a practice for people who spoke our language of, okay, go, 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 do, do, do. And, you know, not really paying attention to our body and our soul and our essence as she talks about it. So um, I think the most important thing um, is everything is a practice and everything is an opportunity to do better. So, um, you know, I will always talk to people about touch typing. So I don't know if any of you guys can remember of when you learned to type and you would say, you'd have to say, at least maybe you're like, you know, younger than me and you learned how to type like in the womb. But I had to take like traditional touch typing class and you have to like have your head up. You have like a paper sometimes on front of your and over your hand so you don't peek. And it's like T space, S space, Z space, D, D. <laughs> and then eventually you have to take uh, write words and then sentences. And then little by little, you know where everything is and you can write thoughts down mm-hmm. and then paragraphs and a whole story and whatever you ha- you do uh, through education or, you know, writing emails or whatever it is. Well, you and you just know. Emails, no, I don't email. <laughs> that's the thing. I, do, I do not email. I'll text you. But I don't email. Um, But I mean, that's basically the idea is like be really patient with these. And the first thing to do is notice. Notice, even if it's hindsight, because that's uh, that whole thing that she was talking about or what I just touched on is that everything is an opportunity to grow. Like, okay, so I did. I did yell at my kid yesterday or I really have been, you know, fast tracking my kids on to do X, Y and Z. That notice shouldn't just be overwhelming guilt. It should be like, "Mm, okay, now this is an opportunity to do better. Doesn't mean that you have to all of a sudden do it correctly. It means, okay, I'm going to sit with myself. I'm going to breathe a little bit. I'm going to try to be more and more aware. And little by little by practicing, just like you're practicing touch typing, little by little, it just starts to become second nature to see your children for who they are, to see yourself for who you are, to see your spouse, to see the world for who it is. And and you're never going to get it 100% right. So just get off of your perfectionist horse and get onto a place of really being present and being excited to to experience life because it is kind of amazing. I love it. Lots to think about. Lots mm-hmm. to work on. Um, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We're going to. Oh. Just kidding. Uh, favorite things. Uh, oh. Favorite things. Even though we did a very, very thingless episode. Yes. We still have some favorite Wait. things for you. Don't worry. We still have some attachments. Stephanie <laughs> and I have attachments. We still have some needs in this physical world. Now it's time for our favorite things. Yes. Um, okay, so... Because one of the things I thought we loved about this idea that that kids just need to interact with their world and play and have it be imaginative. And I'm finding more and more I want less and less around my kids. I don't want so many like cluttered toys and random things that distract them. I want them to have a few toys that they really love and that they create these magically dense worlds around because I think that that um, just gives them a lot of imagination and room to play. But I will say that I just recently bought this uh, toy on Amazon. It's a step two splish splash seas water table with umbrella. <gasps> love it, love it, love it, love it. Can love I tell it. you? So I bought this for Nika. So Nika's fifteen months, sixteen months. My older two kids, my five and my three year old, will not back away from this splish splash table. They have a pool right next to them. They don't care. All they want to do is play in this splish splash thing. And I got them like little, uh, you know, tea sets that they've had forever, and put them in there with, um, with you know like a Barbie. And can I tell you the elaborate world of what they create? And it's so interesting, cool. It's, it's and, and fun to see for me as just a parent of 
of different ages and different sexes at the same time and see how they all make sense of the same toy. And, my, you know, my daughter has, you know, lots of, she's always the sort of magnanimous regent of the, of whatever's going on. And she's the queen and she invites everyone to like a fancy tea party, whatever. And my, my son is like storming the gates with, you know, things that are attacking and, and falling off of slides and whatever else. Um, and poor Nika is just like trying to get in where she can. But I will, t- this has been, Hours of play every single day. And the umbrella is nice because then they get a little shield from the sun. And it's small. It's not like a huge yeah. thing that's hard to move around if you have guests coming over or whatever. So anyway, I just I ordered on Amazon maybe a month ago and I've my kids have been loving it so much. So I thought I would share it with you guys. Um, it's apparently fun for kids of all ages. No, it's it's super fun. And it's nice, too, because what she says about the size is you can. I, I'm terrified of mosquitoes. Another another Ilaria mm-hmm, fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can tip it on its side so you don't have any stagnant water mm-hmm. that can breed mosquitoes. And it's so really I recommend light. doing that. Daily. Yeah. Daily. Yeah. But stable. Once you put the water yes. in, your kids aren't going to tip exactly. it over. No, it is a very, it's super, super fun. Yeah. Super, super fun. I'm glad fun. you have it too. I'm glad oh you love my it. God. I love when that happens. Okay. My favorite thing today is um, a brand called Oliver and Rain, which is a. Rain, or, R-A-I-N? Or? R-A-I-N. Yep. Okay. Oliver and Rain. And it's an organic clothing brand. Mm. Um, the more I'm aware of plastics and microfibers and all this kind of stuff, doesn't mean that we don't have like our fun, you know, you know, graphic teas and stuff like that. That is definitely not organic. (laughs) But I try, especially when they sleep, to put them in organic clothing. Mm -hmm. Raphael is also in a um, phase right now where he will only wear pajamas. Like he wakes up in the morning and if you put him in regular clothes, he cries until you put him in pajamas. Um, And so we're just going with it because when you make it a thing, we are not seeing his essence. Right. How perfect is this? Is wearing pajamas, so I just let him do it. (laughs) Wearing pajamas right now. That is his essence. So basically he is, yes, wearing wearing pajamas. And I like them to be organic pajamas. They're super cute. They wash well. They um they're nice and and durable. I found that even, you know, for I've known about them for maybe about a little over a year. I've been able to pass them down to my other growing sons. Amazing. So, you know, they last from one child to the next. So I really, really like them. And they come in very like sustainable packaging too. And I like that. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So good to know. Thank you so much, guys. Um, you know, you know the drill. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your girlfriends. We love, love, love hearing from all of you and love hearing that you are enjoying the podcast and the topics that you care about. I was at, oh, I was at a wedding this weekend and a girlfriend of mine who I went to college with who has a new baby now who's like five or six months old. She was she was giving me ideas for what she wanted to hear on future episodes about breastfeeding and about struggles in psychology around feeding in general because I think that was something that you know just came out of nowhere when you become a new mom um, and no one's really talked to you about it before and I just thought I love when our audience is getting is getting fed really important deep things that they didn't know they weren't that they didn't know that other people talked about (laughs) and so we're always trying to do that for you guys if you have things you want to hear from us about um, go ahead and shoot us an email mombrainpod at gmail.com as you know we are on Instagram. We are on YouTube. We're pretty much anywhere you want to consume more Ilaria and Daphne and Mom Brains. So um, we'll, you know, want to hear from you and keep talking to you. And we'll talk to you next week. Until next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production. <laughs>